Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast, but we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the founder of Actual Fluency, a language learning blog and podcast that he has started in 2014 and has over 180 episodes. He is a passionate entrepreneur who specializes in affiliate marketing, sales funnels, and copywriting. And he's originally from Denmark and has lived all over Europe and is now an expat in Portugal. Please welcome to the show my friend, Chris Broham. Chris, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Thank you so much for that really warm introduction. Well, my pleasure. My goodness, we've been friends for probably, I want to say like two years, maybe. I don't know how I have not had you on the show yet. So shame on me for not getting you on before after 101 different conversations about love and life and everything in between. But you're here now, so I'm really excited about today. So before we kind of get into the topic at hand of expat and and I want to hear all about your adventures how did you get into, I guess, language learning and entrepreneurship? And we'll, we'll save the expat stuff for after, maybe. Sounds good. And that's actually also quite appropriate with my life. I'm quite a late expat by many of these new modern programming uh, teenagers who are just jumping all across the world, uh, programming on the beach. And you know the image. My journey started a long time when I was about 18, 16, 18. And I was really not looking forward to traditional career route, like a nine to five. Actually, that scared me. And to a degree, still scares me today. This kind of stuck in a, the same kind of loop with no freedom and you know, two weeks off a year for holidays and things like that. So 
I knew back then I wanted to do something entrepreneurial and it took me you know, pretty much 10 years to figure out how to do that, going through such ridiculous things as playing poker professionally, you know, and uh, I had a blog about kitchen cabinets and I had a blog about World of Warcraft, you know, I just went through all the motions. And eventually I just, I was just like, hey, I used to really like languages in school. Why don't I make a blog about that? And I made a podcast right away as well. And I built that from 2014 to today, where we last year had a, a result of in the six-figure range. So that was, it's been a long way coming and it's not been a, a success from day one, but that's kind of the mindset that brought me to where I am today, just experimenting with a lot of different things and, and uh, you know, a lot of website building and online marketing, emails and everything like that. So, so that's pretty much where it came from. Well, it's so funny because I'm, very similar in the same way that I tried a thousand different ideas in the entrepreneur niche before settling, quote unquote, on the expat niche. And it's like, well, this is something that I was doing anyway, something that I was already passionate about, something that I knew already so much about. And here I'm out there trying to create brand new things and things I didn't care about because I thought it would make me a lot of money. And it actually wasn't until I focused on things that I already knew and understood and was part of my life that actually I started to have real success. It's important. My parents always said, oh, you've got such an ear for languages. And I was uh, already when I was 11 years old, uh, we were playing a lot of video games and there weren't really that many Danish language video games out there. So we had to learn English. You know, there's no chance. We had to do it to defeat these games. And, and uh, by age 11, my inner monologue had changed to English. So for me, the language niche was always obvious. And, you know, it's a great niche because it's some, you don't have to be an expert at a foreign language to enjoy the benefits of it. So it's not like you have to learn everything about a language before you can use it. And also there's a, there's a huge market, right? The language learning industry is, a, I think, something like a, a five, $6 billion in industry every year where people buy books and courses and apps and, you know, you've probably seen all the language schools around. And, and so it just made sense. For me. Well, I should, I've certainly spent my share <laughs> of that $6 billion uh, in my journey in languages. So yeah, I get that. It's not easy. It's not easy. So that's, that's a cool, it's a cool topic and there's a lot of flexibility in how you want to do it. And of course you can talk about your own native language or you can, you know, you can learn about other languages or bring in people who know about that and provide the type of content that you feel comfortable with, whether that's a video, you know, YouTube. It's so funny that actually you say that because I mean, okay, we're having this conversation today in English and I swear to God, if you ever told anybody that English was not your first language, like I, I'm actually mind blown when you remind me of that right now, because I never speak to you as if I'm speaking to someone who speaks English as a second language. And my wife speaks English as a second language. And I talk to her in a different way than I talk to someone I would speak to as a native speaker. I mean, that's pretty well. Like I've hired you to good help me card, right? <laughs> in, in copywriting before to help me with my business. And you speak English as a second language. Like that's rad, man. That's good for you. That's props. Well, thank you. And like I said, it's a great business card, right? But the funny thing is that it's hard to replicate that because it, like I said, it was at a time where all the games as a kid, you just want to, you just want to do good in your hobbies. Right. And we were playing a lot of video games. So that was the example I gave. 
And then when I grew up, I really grew up with online gaming, you know. So if I'd been born 10 years younger, I'm not sure I would have had the same level of English because you just didn't have that community. But from maybe, I don't know, 10 until 18, you know, I would log on every day and speak English to people. And so that's why it's really hard to replicate in other languages. And you really need to have that intense. Yeah. And probably if you were born 10 years later, then it would have been, they would have had translations in the game and you would have had all of the text that came up in Danish. So maybe that also would have not been good for you and you wouldn't be in the same place. Have you ever read the book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers? No, I haven't. Uh, only like summaries and, and what people have told me about it. It's a very interesting book. What they do or what he does is he's talking about super famous people who were born at the very right time that had the right situation, the right family, the, the right everything that lined up that allowed them to be super successful. Why was Steve Jobs Steve Jobs? Why is... Why are these hockey players and baseball players, why, why are they able to do this thing? You know, if they were, like you said, born 10 years previous or 10 years later, then it wouldn't necessarily fit. They, they drill it down so much that it could be a couple of months or one year difference, and they wouldn't have had that same type of results. I agree. I think that a lot of the success that people have, especially talking about online success, it re it's really about leveraging your unique and unfair advantage, whatever that may be. And then you put in a lot of hard work and then with any luck, you get somewhere, you know, there's no guarantee of success if you put in hard work, but if you combine it with your unfair advantage, for me, that might've been my, my command of the English language. I, I don't know. Uh, but I also played with websites for 10 years before I started actual fluency. So tinkering with design and copy and all these things. I just hit it at the right time. And, and similarly, people are going to have that experience with all sorts of niches like health, for instance. If you're really into keto, there was this huge spike at some point, right? Where everyone and their mom wanted to be on the keto diet. Well, if you've been talking about that for a few years and you researched everything there is to be known about keto, then obviously you'd be massively successful. So there's always going to be the, the random chance plus hard work plus your unique secret sauce, uh, you know, unfair advantage. For sure, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm certainly noticing that in my space. I mean, I've been talking about asset protection, about moving overseas for years and years now. And it was like, I mean, not so popular. A lot of people didn't really care. They're like, well, I live in the United States. It's the greatest country in the world. What do I need to worry about a second residency for? And then fast forward 2021 and look what happens. I mean, they can't even get their U.S. passport, let alone a second passport. The delays are by months. The FBI checks for fingerprinting is delayed by four months, five wow. months, something like that. So even when you want to get one of these residencies, you can't get the documentation in place. Like it's just a mess. So, I mean... For me, I'm already established in this niche. I can imagine tons of people wanting to get into it now. And it's like, yeah, you can follow someone who's brand new, who has no experience in it and is trying to cash in, or you follow me or like a couple of other people in the space who have been doing this for years when no one was listening. And now, <laughs> yeah, it's super popular. I mean, I look at my numbers, they've gone through the roof. So it just goes to show you. You're at a perfect time with all this, uh, you know, uh, digital nomadism is at its highest. Uh, remote working is now going to take off because all the businesses have realized, hey, 
nobody's been in the office for eight months. Why are we paying for this? You know, so you can save that expense and maintain most of the productivity. So you're going to see an explosion, I think, in the next 12 months of remote work workers looking for, you know, where do I go? You know, what kind of visas do I need? What kind of bank setups can I do? And, you know, that's, that's, that's what you talk about. So yeah, you're, you're in a great spot, but you wouldn't be able to just start that today, even with the knowledge you've built it up over the years. So now you have this great, you know, you said 158 episodes of the podcast, right. And just a, a wealth of information available for people. So yeah, you got the hard work. You're definitely one of the hardest workers I know. You know, you're traveling right now, right? And you're still doing this from from an Airbnb, keeping the show going, keeping the content creation going. So, I mean, you, you you're doing everything right. It's not just the random, you know, good timing. It's also the hard work you put in. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I was telling Chris before this episode that we had a big problem with the Airbnb that we're in. So he's messaging me this morning. like, I heard about your problems with the Airbnb. Are we still doing the interview? I was like, hell yeah, I got a second Airbnb in a quiet place so we can record today. I'm not missing this. I'm looking forward to this. That's beautiful. I'm a podcaster myself, uh, as you mentioned before. And I still have a little bit of a fear uh, talking to people who are uh, on the podcast. So every time there's an excuse to postpone or, or do it later, I, I'm definitely easily tempted to, uh, oh, let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Put it off a little bit. 180 yeah. episodes, though. I would have imagined that you were kind of past that. I remember that feeling. I do remember that feeling, but gone now for me. Well, it's hard when you travel as well, I find, that... Uh, but you, I mean, again, that's the difference between the two of us, right? That you, you're managing just, it's an, it's not even a question. Of course I'll do it. Whereas for me, I feel like in the beginning of my podcast, I was like that. It was like one episode a week. And then when I got to like 150, 180, that coincided with big life changes for me, like moving abroad. And I just, I just struggled to maintain that consistency, but I haven't, I haven't stopped doing it. Uh, it's not canceled by any means. It's just, I'm, I'm no longer doing it on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that part of the thing for me that makes podcasting very easy is technically it, it is my full-time gig. I mean, it's what I do for a living. I mean, I earn money from this podcast and I have people who support my show and it helps get my name and my word out there for my services. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's free to listen to, but it's not free to produce. And, and I do have a marketing, it's my marketing arm for my business. So even if I did feel like, oh, you know what? I don't really feel like it today. It's like, no, but I mean, I made a commitment and people are expecting something from me and I've got bills to pay. So I'm going to make sure I get this stuff done. Like it's important. Absolutely. And the hardest part of doing that is when you're beginning, because then you're not going to get paid a lot, if anything. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's when you have to really just go through with it. Right. And, and, and I guess that's where I was most consistent, which is kind of funny, you know, now that the business is doing really well, then I'm sort of less motivated to keep doing that weekly thing. But back when I was doing no money, then I was just doing it, you know, week after week after week, I think I had something like two years of unbroken weekly episodes. Uh, so that's kind of funny how that is. But but in any case, yeah, I think- Well, you don't know. Maybe after today's interview, you're going to sit down, <laughs> Chris, and you're going to go, you know what? 
I should be more like my friend Mikel, and I I should make sure that this is a weekly thing. I've listened to your podcast. You you do an awesome podcast, man. Your podcast is phenomenal. You should do it weekly. <laughs> well, thank you. It's important. You show inspiration to uh, to get back to the weekly episodes. My pleasure. So, all right. So let's let's get into the expat thing because you've you started the podcast. You started the blog, the language acquisition. You're a polyglot. You started all of these types of things before you were an expat, while you were living in Denmark, right? That's so, true. what was kind of the the change or the journey to become an expat? Well, I suppose the first uh, the elephant in the room we should address is why would anyone want to leave Denmark? Ooh, yes. You know, the the socialist example that even American media is using, you know, why can't we be more like Denmark and, you know, the happiest nation on earth and all this nonsense. I think Denmark is a great place. It's beautiful. It's very, in general, I call it very nice. You know, it's very stable. It's very, it's very easygoing. People are very friendly. I've spent 25 years there of my 33-year life, so I am very familiar with it. But what I think I was missing was some sort of adventure or excitement or just something out of the ordinary. You know, Denmark is a very homogenous country as well. So I always knew that inside I wanted to get out of Denmark and, and experience some something else. Obviously, also there are practical things like the weather sucks. Taxes are ridiculously high, like higher than you could ever imagine. And I don't feel like you get that much better of a of a lifestyle. If you have a job there, like you work for a Danish company, it's usually not a problem because the the salary is accordingly higher, you know, so it's not a big deal. But um, if you, like me, work online and I get paid or make the same amount of money living in Portugal or Panama or uh, Hungary, whatever, then doing in Denmark, then I just, I'm just basically giving myself a negative 40 to 50% raise, you know, <laughs> you know, you want to make 50% less. Yay. Uh, <laughs> so those were some of the decisions I was thinking about, but I think ultimately it was just like getting out, get some perspective and, and, and see the world and, and, and go on an adventure and, and, and try to uh, see what else was out there. So, so that was where I started and I was doing the business. And I, you know, I, as I was telling before, I was desperate to come up with some entrepreneurial uh, success that could actually give me that freedom. And I think freedom for me is the most important thing of all. Uh, it's the freedom to do, you know, freedom of movement, freedom of, of time. That Those are the most important things for me. So as soon as I got that, I was looking at where can I go and and, and do this? Uh, so that's why I decided to go to Hungary first in Budapest. And of course, it has to be said with a European passport, it's quite a privilege. And um, I know a lot of people don't have that same available to the, to them, but I could go to all of the, the member states of the EU and stay and work without any visa or any problems. Uh, so that helps. But yeah, that's when I decided to go to Budapest. And I was working, I had a job of online moderation. So I would monitor like Twitter pages and Facebook pages respond to people. It was basically like customer service with a bit of moderation. So if people put like, you know, <laughs> bad pictures on the page or, you know, bad comments, you delete them and stuff like that. So, so I could build on, build my business alongside and also have a more or less guaranteed salary. So it was kind of a, a stepping stone for, for where I am today. Well, Hungary, I mean, big difference in the tax structure there between that country and Denmark. I mean, I think it's 9% corporate tax off the top of my head. Yeah. And they had this great freelancer tax, which I think they still have. It's basically a flat tax rate of you, you pay 
kind of a small amount up to, you know, as, as long as you don't earn over a, a high amount of money. I can't remember the exact figures, but because it's flat rate, there's a band where it's very advantageous to be there. And that's the system I was under. Also because the, the, the reporting requirements are very low. So if you're looking for a place in Europe to potentially, Budapest is beautiful and it's very affordable and people are very nice there. So if you are looking for a place, do check out Budapest and see if they still have that freelance tax. I believe they do, but um, obviously I'm not a tax advisor in any way. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I've had calls with tax advisors and lawyers and accountants and service providers in Hungary before. I mean, I have all of those contacts. If people are looking for them, you feel free to reach out to me. I don't mind passing you along. They do have some great tax structures there. I think that some of the problems with Hungary, though, is for the incorporation you actually have to you have to have a hungarian bank account and to open the hungarian bank account you have to be there in person yes. where normally we do like the ibcs and stuff like i mean you can just order them online and you'd pay and send your kyc aml documents you don't have to go there to open the bank account but hungary you have to be there and you have to be there within like short amount of time like two months or a month or something like that you have to be really really organized but I think that for company formation and from the that business side, I think is quite good. And then obviously for beauty side, I mean, Budapest is stunning, oh, stunning, stunning. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's why actually it's a funny story. I was, I'd packed off my bags in Denmark and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this big expat move. Uh, I think I had two big check-in bags. That was my entire life, all my belongings. And I, I had this sort of small language conference in, in Hungary, a few of my friends organized. So I, I book a flight from Denmark to Budapest and then from Budapest to Berlin, because I, I thought I was going to settle down in Berlin. That's, it was kind of popular. It still is, you know, it's a very hipster city. It has this reputation of, you know, soy lattes and uh, designers everywhere. But, but at that time it was just a little bit more up and coming. And I thought, oh, okay, that could be cool. You know, I speak German too. So I go there, but, as I was in Budapest, it was so beautiful. The weather was fantastic. And it was such a, an adventure because I didn't understand anything in Hungarian. Like every sign was like a, it might as well be like, you know, ancient Mayan scripture or something. You know, it, it was just <laughs> really exciting to be there. And I, I just thought, you know, I'll just stay here. I'm not, I, I canceled the, the last leg of the, the trip. And so it's also unexpected for me to end up there. But yeah, it is truly a great place if you have the opportunity to stay there. And I think in terms of business setups, I don't know if I would necessarily set up the business there. If you have the the possibility to set up business in Europe, I'm sure, uh, Miguel, there are better countries where you can not necessarily offshore, but, you know, sort of, uh, you don't have to be there, non-residential in, in any case. It's one of those things that makes sense for certain businesses and not for others. I mean, for people who need to enter the European Union and want to have a European bank account or need to have a registered company so that they can get their banking done in another country, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good option. I think some of the other problems are that their legal system there is kind of a mix between common law and civil law. Like they, it's like they haven't picked lanes. They're not exactly sure what they're doing. And there's all this other weird law that you just would never be able to predict. It's just as a foreigner, I mean, going in, it's very, very complicated. Usually it's like if you're if you're doing common law, you're doing common law, whether it's the UK or New Zealand or Australia or Singapore, or I mean, there are so many similarities there that you can understand. I think Hungary is this weird, weird mix. 
Yeah, I don't know if I would ultimately recommend it for a long-term stay. I think you'd have to do your research on your own personal position before I would make that uh, suggestion. But I can say at least that for a short-term stay, it's absolutely fantastic and beautiful. And so how long you know, were you there for? I was there for 18 months, actually. When I moved there, I actually thought I was just going to stay there sort of in perpetuity. But after about 18 months, I, I moved back to Denmark for a while. And then I moved back to, uh, not back to, but then I moved to the UK, which was my next sort of expat location. All right. Before we get into the UK, did you study Hungarian language when you were in Hungary? <laughs> I did, okay. not extensively. And uh, I will say it's the hardest language I've ever, ever seen anything of. If anyone knows anything about Hungarian, I mean, it's it's impossible, basically. But it's also very cool. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's a, a language you, blogger telling you that the <laughs> language is impossible. Chris, yeah. come on. I thought well, that was like you weren't allowed to do that. Like they're going <laughs> to they're going to crucify you now. I'm only human. You know, for me, it was impossible. <laughs> and uh, no, it wasn't impossible. But I think, you know, Hungarian has this quality where all the meaning is attached to the end. They call it agglutinative. And that makes it extremely complicated because you have to remember what do all these endings mean. And, you know, I wasn't really, I feel like there's a lot of kind of myths about language learning. And one of them is that if you go to the country, you'll easily learn the language. <clears throat> and actually what I found was that it was a lot easier for me to study in Denmark because I didn't have the worries of moving countries was. You know, it was my first, uh, well, I say my first, you know, it's really my fifth language or something, four or fifth maybe at the time, probably fifth language, yeah. But it was my first sort of in-country experience of studying a new language. And I really underestimated, of course, when I went there, I was like, oh yes, I'm going to uh, learn Hungarian in three months, you know, uh, uh, no problem. But when I got there, I really was underestimating the energy required to obviously run my business, but also setting up all the paperwork, uh, all the bank nonsense, all the tax nonsense, trying to make friends. You know, you're going to a brand new country, you're all alone. Like, how do you build up a social network? How do you make sure that you're finding an apartment? You know, some of these countries are very hard to find apartments because they have very strict rules. Uh, or you might need to present a credit score or you might need to sub-rent from other people. And so as I lived there, I felt like time just flew past and I just didn't have the mental energy to uh, dedicate particularly a lot of uh, time for Hungarian. And so at the end, I, I didn't really manage to do very well. Well, I mean, all right. So the, here's an interesting point. Let, let's, let's slow down. Let's talk about this for a little bit because it, it is really interesting. I'll tell you from my experience, when I go through all of this stuff, banking and companies and apartments and grocery shopping and finding a place where I can get coffee and the electricity. You get through all of this stuff and it's like, at the end of the day, I mean, it's exhausting. Like it's so exhausting. And then you meet someone, you go to the pub and you meet an Irish guy or something like that. Do we? Like I sit around and drink a couple of Guinness and talk in English. I don't necessarily practice my language. I moved to Panama. I have to do a thousand and one things. I've got a business and a family and all this stuff. Yeah. And at the end of the night, I mean, yeah, I know that I should be studying Spanish or I should message my buddy who's Panamanian who only speaks Spanish and go and play pool with him. Or I could message my buddy Luigi and go, go for a cocktail or something like that and speak English. And it's just so natural and easy. 
I mean, there is a certain amount that you can handle in a day. I mean, everybody's a little bit different, but everybody still does have a limit. So it's how are you going to handle those things? So I, I think it's natural, personally. Yeah, and part of that experience is also accepting that, you know, that you're not going to be fluent in three months, especially when you just move. But yeah, giving yourself time. And, you know, what I did notice was that the second half of my stay in Hungary, I did suddenly have more energy and, and time to do the language. So, you know, I had a tutor, a weekly tutor for a while, maybe even twice a week. And I would put in regular study sessions. But then my stay in Hungary came to an end and I could sort of see a few months ahead and say, okay, I know I'm going back to Denmark at this date. So I, I lost a little bit of motivation as well because you're not going to need Hungarian outside of Hungary. <laughs> so I was that was kind of the, the the my story of Hungarian. But you know, it's a fun experience. And you know, I could go to a cafe and do the whole exchange in Hungarian. I can make everyone laugh a little bit if I'm trying to, you know, say a few words. And and that was that was well worth it for me. And again, going back to what I said earlier, you don't need to be an expert in the language to get a lot of pleasure out of it. So for me, the funniest thing was going to a cafe a little bit out of town and, you know, trying to make a sandwich in Hungarian. You had like a whole, like, you know, basically 30 different ingredients you can put in your sandwich. And I didn't know the Hungarian name for any of them. So, was, and, and the staff behind a desk are just like snickering and, that's hilarious. I love that. It's, it's great that you can you can make an impact on their day too, as long as you, of course, allow yourself to be the kind of the idiot in the room. You know, you have to have a good uh, sense of yeah. uh, self awareness. You know that. You... <laughs> but that's another good point that to get joy from a language, you don't actually need to be fluent. You don't need to certainly don't need to be perfect, but you don't need to be fluent. I mean, even small things like I learned words in Swahili and I learned words in Nepalese and I learned words in Korean that I were was able to use. And yeah, just getting a smile out of somebody when they look at me and I'm, I am clearly not Korean. And it's like, you know, the, that's fun. I mean, that's the it doesn't best. have to always be about fluency, even though, I mean, your podcast is called Actual Fluency, but I think that you probably, on, you will probably agree with me that uh, all spectrums of language learning can derive joy. Actually, uh, yeah, absolutely. And and the name actually is based on what do you, where do you want to be? You know, do you want to be a language expert? So what is your level of actual fluency? Is it uh, conversational? Is it you want to write a doctorate in the language, you know? And I, I think it has to be a personal decision. And, and there's also a big debate on whether fluency actually means perfect or it just means like able to have a conversation so they you have a lot of uh, drama there but uh, for non-language uh, <laughs> language learning uh, audiences i think yeah i think that's part of the the, the polyglot community arguing over uh, other people's Semantics. youtube videos and yeah basically <laughs> yeah you're right you're right it's quite toxic so uh, i wouldn't advise anyone to spend any time on that but uh, in general you want to make your language goals yours you don't want to look at a youtube video of someone speaking perfectly and then go i can do that in three months you know it's just not possible yeah, you want to do it according to what you can do your experience and your time of course well so i i have quite a few friends who are polyglots who are polyglot podcasters and producers of content in this space that you know 
people you've introduced me to or, you know, mutual friends and stuff like that. And so I have a little bit of a glimpse into the, the world of the polyglot space. And it is so funny because I just wouldn't expect there would be so much bickering between people <laughs> on, you know, like on conversations like this, like what is fluent? How long does it take to learn a language? And all this back and forth, you know, you can search on YouTube, you know, oh, uh, I learned French in a week or something. Yeah. And then it's like, and then other people making response videos, like this is ridiculous and you can't do this. And it's so funny because I mean, I love language learning and it has become a massive passion of mine over the last few years, but it's not my niche. So I'm the outsider looking in, but it's, it's, it's funny. Very, very funny. A lot of drama for sure. <laughs> I think any, any type of hobby that people have, there's this in insider stuff that you can kind of see. And it really, I mean, we could be having this conversation about cars or paintball or uh, I have no idea, like anything. And you would see. Well, uh, expat life, I suppose, has lots of these uh, very uh, divisive topics where people disagree a lot. Let's say taxation, for instance. So yeah, you're right. You'll probably find it uh, anywhere. We do. We certainly do. <laughs> so I the thing think... that's important, taxes, you know, it's, it became a big decision for me as part of my where to go you know, and I don't know how many of your listeners have this feeling. I, I don't know how common it is to, to think like, I don't know where to go. But I think that's quite of an interesting decision because I have the belief that I should go where people treat me the best, you know, or countries specifically, I suppose. And, but it's, it's always difficult to find, there's no perfect package, you know, there's always going to be, you know, pros and cons of certain countries. I think for Europe, I think Portugal is very strong. That's why I ended up here. I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that for a second. I was sitting in Denmark and I, I researched this. They have this very good tax system uh, called the NHR, which is a non-habitual residence, but it basically allows you to have foreign income taxed at 0%. So you set up a company in another place and then the income you get there through dividends is, is, is taxed at 0%. Or how many years? And yes, sorry, and yes, that's correct. And they are talking about facing this out, I believe. So, so be sure to to check that out. But it's become very popular, and I think it's a fantastic idea. I don't understand why countries don't do more to promote people working online to come to their country and spend money. For instance, if I lived in Denmark, yeah, you know, that's a part of me that would probably live in Denmark if if the if the deal was good enough, but. You know they're going to tax. They're going to ta yeah. There you go. <laughs> they're going to tax me the same as if I had a a well paid job there. So they're they're just losing me as a as a customer for VAT and property taxes and all the other taxes that governments charge. You know, in Denmark it's pretty ridiculous with sugar tax and alcohol tax and uh, tax on everything basically. Just assume it's going to be taxed. But then a country like Portugal is like, hey, what about we make the conditions really great for people to come here? They're going to spend all their money on taxable as goods, and they might even hire locals to grow their business. And to, you know, they're going to buy property. They're going to invest in in the infrastructure. To me, it's just a complete no brainer. I don't understand why governments around the world aren't doing this. You preach into the choir, my friend. You preach into <laughs> well, the choir. It is like a, I a don't get theme. it either. 
And like the countries who actually do recognize this, you'll see this with a lot of the territorial tax countries. And the benefits are apparent. I mean, you're not only attracting dollars, capital into the country, you're attracting that talent. Yeah. I mean, entrepreneurs, by and large, are really great people. I mean, we are problem solvers. We are law-abiding citizens. We, we want to do well and inspire people and help people. I mean, that is the fundamentals of being an entrepreneur. If, if you don't want to help someone, then you're probably going to be a pretty crummy entrepreneur. So by getting those people in the country, there's this other layer of benefit that, I mean, is non-quantifiable. I certainly see it in Panama, where I normally live. I'm not there at the moment, but it's just tons of entrepreneurs, tons of business owners have moved there because it's an attractive tax jurisdiction. We have zero taxes if you learn your if you earn your money online. I mean, that's great. I still go to the grocery store. I still have a maid. I still, you know, buy a place and, you know, use the, the local services. So all the money is coming into that country that I'm not taking anything from out of the country. I mean, all my clients are in the US and Canada and same as you. So, I mean, it's good. It actually brings money to the country. Yeah. And look at the reverse, right? You have really high tax rates, a really unfair, un competitive tax rates, then people leave. So you're you're basically enticing all your talent and all your, you know, basically the people who are building the future huge businesses, you're enticing them to not be in your country. And it's like, it's just madness to me. But, you know, that's the way the world is uh, right now. It's called capital flight. And I mean, it happens. That's I it. mean, there's studies on a certain amount of taxes. And at a certain point, it it tapers off and it becomes worse and you can't just keep going higher and higher and higher. Like, like look at Denmark. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, but those that's are right. I would pay taxes in Denmark gladly. And I think actually a lot of Danish people are, are content with paying high taxes because they know what they get in re return. My problem is that comparatively it's still too high. So I can go to the UK for instance, which is, uh, you know, a, a 90 minute flight from Denmark, and I would immediately pay 50% less taxes, plus everything else is cheaper too. So I'm like- And still know, beautiful if, country yeah, and high standard of living. If it's you not compare like those you have two to... countries, they're equally developed. They have equal, like they have both have social health care. So if you get sick, you know, you don't have to pay hugely out of pocket. And, and in fact, the UK is doing it better in many cases. I can't speak for the quality of the service because that's, that's too, uh, too, depending on what, the part of the, the healthcare you're talking about. But one example is that in the UK, they have subsidized um, dental care. Denmark, you pay full price yourself, unless you're part of a, a company insurance scheme. But in the UK, the maximum you can pay for one procedure is about $300, I believe. Even though that same procedure would be maybe, <laughs> could be $3,000 in Denmark, you know? So why is it possible for two countries to be so similar in development, but one is able to do it for half the price and the other is not. That's that's my problem, really, because I think ultimately you want to live where you want to live. You know, you I don't think zero taxes is, is worth it at any cost. Like if you want to live in a jungle somewhere and have absolutely no modern advantages, but pay zero taxes, to me, that's not for me. I want to live in a place I'd really like to live in. And then the taxes is sort of a a really big benefit, but it's never the entire reason, if you, if you get what I mean. 
Mm -hmm. I do, absolutely, absolutely. We're just gonna pause for a second on the interview because I wanna tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're gonna find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I wanna tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore, to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I wanna give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's gonna really serve you well. So enjoy, go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report and let's jump back into today's interview. I have purposefully lived in zero tax countries for years and years and years. But at the same time, I never felt like I needed to go live out there in the jungle. Although <laughs> after COVID, part of me wants to go and buy a homestead and be off the grid. Very much so. I but think we all all feel a bit, a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, true. Sorry, not sorry, but uh, true story. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about the UK. So you did go there as an expat. Now, totally different experience because you spoke English at a very high level before you went to the UK. So you didn't have those same types of challenges that you did in Hungary. But I imagine there were other challenges. There was other things that you needed to deal with. Absolutely. And uh, maybe that uh, is uncovering the flaw of the original assessment is that, you know, the ducks in a row theory that once I have all my ducks in a row, then I can learn the local language or then I'll be, then I'll feel great or then I can exercise or then I can start watercolor painting or whatever your, your you know, long-term dreams are. But yeah, in, in the UK, I moved over, I got a job. And so I was still at a very early stage of my business. It was making a couple of thousand a month, but it wasn't enough to sustain myself. And I thought if I get a job, then I could build up a social circle as well. So I actually got an office job in the UK whilst I worked on the business on the side and um, had that for about, I'm going to say about a year and a half, maybe a little bit more. And then I went full-time on the business with primarily one big client. I was sort of a um, marketing uh, for, and then obviously worked on my own business as well. But, but you're right. Yeah, it was different. Being in the UK is easier. And they also, I think they have a very fair tax system in the UK, actually. You know, if you're a low-income earner, which uh, my business definitely was at the time, the starting tax is only about 20%, and you get a very generous uh, deduction. So that's if you do all your taxes in the country, of course. But um, you can set up somewhere else in Europe and save a little bit. But yeah, I like the UK. I, I was a big fan of the culture, like the food, I like the kind of the even the humor. I always loved British TV. So going there was really an experience. And I had a good time there for the most part. But I think ultimately, I realized I just didn't 
I just didn't, I couldn't fit in properly at the end. It was just, there was something missing. Maybe it was Uh the terrible weather. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But eventually I just moved on. And I think a big part of my expat experience is just trying things. Like, you know, we were talking about with the businesses. I think you also just try countries. And even if there's no like big red flags or big good reasons for being there, there's just something, you know, you feel deep down, this isn't, this isn't me. This isn't for me. No, okay. Question for you. Do you think, are you searching for a place? Do you, do you feel like you're searching? It's a good question. I think one of the things I talked about on the podcast some time ago was as an expat, how often are we moving towards something or running away from something else? And I think for me, it, for a long time, it has been the latter you know, for I was kind of trying to get out of that cycle in Denmark of, let's say, the nine to five or 40 years in a company and the gold watch and everything. But yeah, I, I think I'm still searching. I think it takes time as well. I've only been in Portugal for about eight months now. So I think it takes, and you know, the COVID situation has been mad. So I haven't really had the opportunity to explore much around here, let alone make friends or anything. But yeah, I would say that I am searching. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a healthy thing, but I just think that that's the way I am. That's the adventurous spirit in me is like always try new things like that uh, Shakira song, try everything. <laughs> um, and and that's what I'm I'm trying now. And maybe if you ask me again in 12 months, I maybe have a much better picture of whether or not Portugal is truly going to be my let's say 10 year plan or 20 year plan even. Okay. But let, okay. Let me rephrase the question and be a little bit more specific. Are you searching for the perfect place to be the perfect place to live? No, I wouldn't say so. Not necessarily. No, because I understand there's always going to be pros and cons, but maybe I'm always comparing it to where I've lived in the past. So if I went to, if I went to uh, Romania tomorrow and tried living there for a while, Maybe I'm comparing it to Portugal, to, to Hungary, and to the UK. And if it stacks up higher, you know, or you make your big list of pros and cons, then maybe I, I would go there. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely not a search for perfection because it just doesn't exist. Good. I'm glad to hear you finish with that because, all right, I've been an expat for a very long time and I've lived in a lot of different places in the world. And at least from my side, from my life, I've never been one of those people who is running away from something. And I'm also not searching for anything. I actually like going to a new country and living in that country just for the differences. I like all the differences. And I'm like, I can objectively say, you know, while living in Brazil today, this is better than Panama. This is worse than Panama. This is better than Panama. This is worse than Panama. Compare it. I can compare the types of things, but it's not like, oh, cross Brazil off the list. It's not, it doesn't have what I need. You know, it didn't fit all these things. I'm still got to go out there and search for this, this, this Mecca of expat living. I mean, for me, it doesn't exist. I see these lists all the time. Go back to our, our conversation about different drama and groups talking crap, you know, five best countries to live in here, you know, Oh, can you believe Mikel put the UAE in there? It's like, yeah, I lived there for eight years. For me, it was awesome. I like it. But I actually, to be fair, I don't really do lists on best countries, but I do get comments from people who question my judgment 
on what is a good place to live. And it's like, well, I mean, things that I like are. Do you think there's a big difference between the timelines as well? You know, you hear a lot about digital nomads and, and initially I was attracted to that lifestyle. I was like, Oh wow. Living in a new country every three months. That sounds really exciting. I'm like the adventure, <laughs> you know, but then, and I have friends like that who are, you know, they can manage it somehow. They just, they're just going from place to place and they rent Airbnbs and they have their online business. And I'm like, that was not for me, you know? So I think it's really about it. it maybe it's something about, temperament towards travel like what do you want to be that kind of uh, call it a nomad you know this is kind of an overused term but you know for me i realized that i'd like a base like a really solid base and obviously that, that influences all your decisions like your tax bank and everything but now that i have my base here in portugal i can't wait to go and explore countries for you know weeks or even months at a time That's that's the kind of life I want to live in a post-pandemic world. That's the um, kind of life I live right now. So I definitely jive with that. I mean, I, and that's what I've always done. I mean, I did the backpacker. We Long before Digital Nomad, we called ourselves backpackers. And literally, we just wore a backpack and went from place to place. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that, you know, going on a, not, not necessarily the backpacking, I'm more of a comfort traveler myself, but, uh, you know, get going to be, and that, and that's really the beauty of building an online business, you know, is that you can go away. You know, if I, if I want to, I can go away for months at a time, you know, the team will take care of the content and they'll funnel any important information through to me. So I can just log on my email every, you know, once, once in a while, extinguish any fires and then i'm still in wherever you know love to go to uh, explore the u.s more i haven't seen any uh, part of the u.s i've only been there a few times you know a couple of weeks at a time so you basically don't get any time to see anything so i'm looking forward to that but i think it's important to find out what kind of yeah what people listening to is what what is your view on that because some people can do it like my friend james He's lived in like 15 different countries in the last two years, I think, you know, and he gets a ton of work done. He's one of the most productive people I know. Whereas myself, if I try to do that, I would spend like two months settling in, you know, and I would just be useless. So, so that's a discovery I've made. And so now when I travel, I'm not really looking at it as a potential new base. I'm just enjoying it for what it is, the culture, the food, the people, the sites and, and history. Well, don't you think that also there is a right time for a right place? Like maybe when you were in Hungary, that's what you needed at that time in your life. And when it stopped being that for you, you left. And in the same in regards as the UK, you went there, you had fun, you met people. It was cool. You enjoyed yourself. You had the experience. And then when it was time to go, you moved on. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I wasted time there or I made a mistake or it's like, it's just a, it's a piece. And maybe you'll go back to those countries to live and maybe you won't. And if you do great. And if you don't also cool, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to, you know, mean something or have this, this overarching plan. I guess that's what I'm, I'm getting at is people seem to think that being an expat, like there has to be like a reason it has to be a, A, a purpose. And if you don't get it right the first time, then, I mean, if you wasted all this time and energy and effort and money, like that's not how it works. This is a funny question I've been getting lately 
but from people who hear that I moved to Portugal, a lot of people ask me, so how long you want to live there? And I'm like, well, what, like, why do I need to know? And why do I need to have an exit strategy? Even if you have, I have this tax setup, right? That's called, it's a 10 year plan. So in 10 years time, I will have to reevaluate my tax status. So you'd say, okay, well, a 10 year deadline might seem obvious, but to me, that's so far ahead in the future that I don't even consider it a deadline. Because frankly, if I've lived in Portugal for 10 years, I'm pretty confident that I'm happy to pay whatever tax rate they give me at that point. You know, you know that's worth it. So I just don't understand that obsession. To me, I'm like, this is my permanent base for now. But like you said, if things change, if something new comes up or, you know, they could change the rules overnight retroactively. That's seen before. I'm out of here, you know, and I think that's the biggest quality that expats have and the biggest, I guess, power because you have that freedom of movement, especially in the EU, I guess. But if you are an expat you, you uh, and you have your own online business, you have so much movement uh, opportunity of movement. So you could move. And that's that's the way I live my life. I'm not, you know, I'm not committing 100% at any cost to staying here for 10 years because that's the tax agreement. But for now, this is my home and this is my place. And I'm not looking to move next week. But that same question that you proposed is the same type of question of, you know, like, how long do you want, how long are you going to live there for? It could be the same question as how long are you going to live? Like being an expat is really for a lot of us. Right. We are. Yeah. So it's like, like, I don't know, like I want to live forever. So it's like, yeah, I want to be here forever. But I, I mean, it's just a weird question. When you move, it's okay. It's just part of your life. You just live in a new country. It's, it's good. It's all right. And you have, if you have a limited time, in a place, like if you say, okay, I'm going to go and live in Hungary for two years, I feel like you don't commit enough to it. You're not going to commit to friendships. You're not going to commit to actually getting a proper place to live. You know, I've lived in a lot of temporary places. You know, at the time I didn't know, but I, deep inside I knew I wasn't going to live there for a long time. So I didn't decorate it with my style. I didn't, you know, buy the furniture that complemented my work. I didn't. I didn't make an effort because I knew, oh, right, I'm already on the way out. And I think if you constantly have this deadline in mind, you're not going to make deep friendships, deep connections. You're just, you're just going to be in this perpetual moving state that, you know, you kind of living, but not really. I know exactly what you were talking about. And actually, it's funny because I haven't thought about that in so long. But I remember when I lived in New Zealand, I had a 12-month visa to be there. And so I lived out of a suitcase the entire time. When I lived in the Arctic, I knew I had a one-year contract. I was going to be there for 365 days. So it was really hard to like, allow myself to live my life because I kept thinking, well, what's the point? What's the point of putting a picture on the wall? I'm only going to have to take it down in six months. What's the point of buying this nice chili sauce that I want because I may only eat it once in the next month and then I need to go? Like, so you just, you're constantly stopping yourself from, okay, those are really silly examples, but I mean, there's big examples, friends and, and spouses and girlfriends and all these types of things as well, sports and hobbies and so much stuff that you want to do. But actually, when I was in the UAE, I didn't have that feeling. I went to the UAE and I was like, this is my life. That was probably... Yeah. 10 years into my expat journey before I got that. 
And now I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I have so much stuff here in Brazil, you wouldn't believe it. And I know it's temporary here, but I just allow myself to buy the things and fill my fridge and make friends. And I don't care. I mean, yeah, it took me a long time to get that for sure. Yeah, it's not easy because the natural response would be to, you know, it's temporary. And and by the way, even if you don't have those set deadlines, like it's very helpful to say, okay, my visa is three months. I know I'll be here for three months. But for me, it was also working in an office job. I knew how much I hated working in an office and how much I desired my freedom. So even there, I'm already I'm already kind of working on board time in that job, even though there was you had no one foot out the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't like a limited contract, and there was I wasn't getting fired or anything. So there was no real deadline. But deep down, I knew. I can't go on with this. This isn't what my life is supposed to be. You know, I want to do something else. So it's tough. <laughs> There's nothing easy about any of this. I find it's a, it's a very hard journey really, but it's synonymous with bettering yourself in other ways too. Like language learning is a way of bettering yourself. I feel like connecting with people, uh, there's health and fitness and building a business. They're all connected to this overall picture of self-improvement and building the life you want, which is what people get out of listening to a podcast like this. You know, they get experiences and anecdotes and even, you know, very technical, this is how you do it. You know, so you build that kind of, oh, okay, he did it. He was from Wisconsin or, you know, he lived in Buffalo and then he did all this great stuff. And, you know, people listening will get this, build their own version of what uh, expat life or a future free. It might not be expat. This, maybe you want to live in the US or I don't know, or wherever you're listening from, but you can still apply all the principles. Whether you live in New York City or you live in the UAE or in Portugal, it's all about bettering yourself and figuring out what you want uh, out of life. Yeah. Being purposeful about these things, where you're going to spend your time, how you're going to dedicate your life, the language you're going to learn, the cultures, how you're going to structure these things. I think that's at the core of it. And I think that as my expat journey has continued, I've really realized it is a philosophy. There's so much to it. I mean, you can't just go to the dictionary and look up the word expat and know what it means. Like, I mean, it's just, you can't. I know it sounds so silly, but it's like, I've been at this for 21 years and every day I am discovering things about myself. My drama here in Brazil, which people have been following along with me in social media is absolutely crazy. And at night I just have to hug my wife and just be like, it's okay. Everything will be okay. We will get through all of this. It works out in the long run. It just works out. It does. Yeah. Like you said, so, Hungary, UK, my past, it's all leading up to this point, you know? So I don't see them as failures. I just tried something and then I didn't do it anymore. You know, I stopped doing it because it wasn't. But it helps shape you as a human being as well. Like even if you don't, if you can't tell the difference, it's still there. There's layers of all of those experiences who are you now. And actually there's no way to separate those things. But it's really funny. And, and I'm, I'm curious your take because I know you go home on a semi-regular basis. When you go back to Denmark and you see your buddies or your friends from school or your folks or your cousins and things like that, how do you feel? How do you feel about the situations or about life back home? Whoa, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one. I think 
that you have to find out for yourself, right? So part of what we just talked about was me going to Hungary. And I think uh, I think you'd agree with me to say that you have a lot of ideas in your head about what you like, especially when it comes to where to live and how to live. But as you try things, those perceptions change completely. You know, So for me, living in the UK, living in Budapest, I learned so much about myself that I, and I think specifically things I didn't want, you know, you're kind of filtering your earlier perceptions. I was like, oh, I really like this. I really like that. And now I realize, okay, actually, I don't want that. And so uh, the travel is an example, right? I thought I'm going to be the next digital nomad moving every three months. That could be so cool. And then I tried traveling a lot and I was like, no, this sucks for me. You know, this is not my, my, this is not what I want to do. Uh, so when I go home to Denmark, uh, first of all, yeah, I try to get back about maybe three to four times a year, uh, depending, you know, there's Christmas is the obvious one. And then, you know, there's a couple of birthdays and in general, just every quarter would be great if I could do that. Sometimes I don't, but you know, when I go home, I, there's a big, there's a big split. Like uh, there's a lot of people I see back home who I think are very happy with where they are. They really like their, let's say they have a job. They really like their job, their family and friends and, and kids. But there's also a big part of, of people who I can just see, they don't know, they don't know anything about themselves because they haven't traveled. You know, they haven't been outside Denmark maybe ever, or maybe they went to like Turkey on a beach resort, you know, and there's no offense about that. I, I'm not trying to judge people, but if you haven't tried to live abroad, it can be very hard to find out who you are as a person. So sometimes that's painful when you're back home. And I think perspective is often very uh, one-sided. And I also feel like a foreigner when I'm back home, which is kind of weird. Yeah, this reverse culture shock when you go back and it's like... Absolutely. Things that used to be completely normal now kind of look a bit weird. And the conversations and the top, not the conversation, but the topics and the themes, like... We've been talking about this since we were 16 years old. Right. It's been like 30 years now. And you guys are still telling the same stories. Like, yeah, it's so strange. I just don't understand the mindset anymore. I don't know if I ever had it or if it's just something that you grow out of. But it's just like, for me, traveling is like the best thing you can do. And it's the most exciting thing to discover new places, new people. Like meeting people all around the world, for me, is like the number one joy. It's so cool to hear about other people's experiences and perspectives on things. And I think it shapes you. And there's just a lot of people I know from back home, for example. And again, no judgment. You know, if you like, if you don't like traveling, then don't do it. But, you know, they have a very limited perspective on things. And 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 that hurts when you get back because you just don't connect with it. And you get that reverse culture shock, as I mentioned. So that's the downside. But of course, it's also really good to be home and I don't know about you, but I always miss like certain foods and stuff. It's so weird when you're living at home, you don't think about it. Well, maybe Denmark, because I think Denmark has some really deep culture and some, some really unique things. Canada, I mean, I can't think of any Canadian food, which I miss from Canada that I couldn't prepare (laughs) myself or just go down the street to a restaurant and kind of get, I mean, Right. We don't have that type of thing. All right. Someone's going to make a joke about maple syrup or Canadian bacon or something. (laughs) But I mean, like, those are so small little things. You can, if you really care, you can pick that kind of stuff up abroad. Yeah. Well, Canada is so big that you might even get Canadian products 
most of the world anyway. <laughs> but it's harder to find the Danish products. But it, I think it's more of a, I mean, the food doesn't really matter, but it's obviously partly sentimental. You know, you're reminiscing about your your former country. And, you know, right now they're playing the football, the European Championships, and Denmark has made it to the quarterfinal somehow. They're usually not very good. Uh, we won it in 92, so that gives you an idea of when they were last any good. But but now that I'm seeing that, I'm 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 still like I'm still a, a Danish citizen. I'm still a Danish patriot in in a way deep down. It's not like I've I haven't defected. You know, it's still there, and I still love Denmark for for all of its benefits. And you know, you hear the I still follow the news and stuff. So another thing, being an expat means that you just forget about who you are. Or you just leave that part of your personality behind. I think it's just it adds to it, and it molds it in a different way. Yeah, I think that the roots that the state put in us are very, very strong, and it's very difficult to get rid of them. I've been overseas longer than I spent in Canada, more than half of my life I've been an expat. But you still have, you still have, I'm sure you still have emotional ties. And if you hear the Canadian national anthem, don't you get a bit of a Yeah, that one I don't care about at all. I mean, can't we just celebrated Canada's birthday? I didn't do anything. I actually forgot all about it. And those types of things I'm not really, I don't really care about. But like, okay, let's take it, let's take an example like your sports. If I'm watching the Olympics, yeah, I'm cheering for Canada. I want to see those those kids, right. the, those athletes do well. Absolutely I do. I guess because I see that more as not necessarily patriotic, but I want to root for someone and do something good yeah and i and i feel the same about denmark too absolutely yeah so do you think it i mean uh, obviously i'm a very pure danish person and unfortunately it's kind of a boring backstory but uh, as far as we can trace back to like the 1600s uh, there are no foreigners in my family tree so that's kind of boring but so i can only be attached to one place in my let's say deepest down right yeah i was born in denmark i lived there forever that's who I am. That's part of my personality, right? But for you, I would I would think that having that heritage is also something to be proud of. So you kind of, you have like Denmark. So if you see a Danish flag or, you know, you should watch the game soon. <laughs> and um, I think I actually have more of a nostalgic feeling for Denmark than I do for Canada. Right. Even like both my children have, and I won't say my kids' names on, on air, but both my kids have very Scandinavian names and even not just their first names, but middle names as well. And obviously surname. Last name too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So there are ties there for sure. There's some definitely ties to Denmark. Makes perfect well, and sense. You and I have even talked about in the past about doing projects where I would fly over, we would record and then do like a language thing. And I would try to learn a Danish in a very short period of time. And so it would be, you know, one Danish person and then a Danish person returning home. I still think that would be fun, by the way. I think we should try to do that at some yeah, point. Yeah, we can look at your genetic uh, heritage and we can see if we can see where you where your uh, your great, great, great grandparents came from uh, in Denmark and what kind of lives they might have led. I, I'm very uh, passionate about Danish American history in particular because there were so many that went that way, but certainly also other countries in the world where where the Danish kind of kind of went to. In fact, I actually think about creating a Danish, a new podcast, probably in English, but about 
Danish people who went abroad, or maybe even in Danish, it could be both. But, you know, because I, I think it's interesting that people decide to leave what is the happiest country in the world, you know, the, the socialist utopia, you know, why would you ever leave that? It's a beautiful place, right? Well, and in my example, it was my, my great grandfather was born in Canada. So I'm fourth generation Canadian, but I'm still, still, we followed some Danish traditions and Danish food and Danish holidays and Danish names. Like mm. I'm named after yep. my great grandfather. That was his name. So I think it'd be so cool to go be, go back to Copenhagen and then try to find baptism records and, you know, where did my great, great grandparents get married? And I still have family there and stuff as well that we could look up. So that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. I think we should do that. That sounds like a great project. <laughs> Danish American, Danish Canadian. Yeah. Well, okay. So you walked us through your story of going to Hungary and being an expat and then in the UK, and then you touched on just very briefly where you are today in Portugal, but let's expand that a little bit. I want to know, what is your life like? What has your experience been like? Give it to me. I mean, let's hear about Portugal. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So Portugal has been great so far. Obviously you have to take everything right now with a bit of, uh, you know, due to the pandemic. Uh, it has been funny because I, I got here in the end of October and it was relatively open, but it was still at a pretty high point of the pandemic. Then January 1st rolls around and they put on the maximum restrictions. You know, shops close at 1 p.m. in the weekend, masks everywhere at all times. All restaurants and cafes are closed. Basically, everywhere is closed. And I think it's the same for a lot of the, the, the world. So this isn't, I'm not trying to say that we had it worse or anything, but when you just move to a country, and you, that's the experience you have. It can be very weird. So I actually, when people tell me like, or ask me, so what do you think of Portugal? I feel like it's hard to judge right now, but I can say, despite of all this terrible lockdown and everything, it, it's a very positive experience. Like port, the weather is beautiful. Portuguese people are very uh, friendly and hospitable. There's very, a lot of English here. I should say I'm in Porto, which is the second largest city. Uh, most people go to Lisbon, which is at the south. I decided to go to Porto because I'm not really a huge fan of tropical weather. And, you know, Lisbon is almost at the same degree as, as top of Africa, like Morocco. And so that can get really hot. But yeah, I had to set up my all my accounts and I set up a, a business in Cyprus. Uh, that was the best uh, setup we could come up with. And that was a nightmare. But I think that could be probably a whole episode. So if anyone th is thinking about setting up a business in Cyprus, just uh, ask Mikhail to help you out and get in touch with the right people. And then I had this NHR, the tax-free thing. I got my own apartment in the middle of the city for, uh, I pay about $1,000 a month in rent. This is a two-bedroom apartment. And I've got a little balcony you can stand on. There's no, you can't sit there, but can stand, look over a square. And around me, I think I have about 500 different cafes, restaurants. They have a huge going out culture here. People go out every day. Uh, you go for coffee all the time and, you know, beers and cocktails or whatever. So for me so far, if I had to summarize, it's a really, really positive experience. And I found a co-working space. I don't know if you ever talk about those on the show, but for me, that's like the the best place to connect with people who are like-minded and who are doing similar things. And in most cases, they speak very good English. So it's a good way to get in uh, and build a little social circle. So I try to go over there every day. 
and sit there for doing sort of normal work hours and then come back and, and we try go out a few times. Do you find that separation from actually going to a place to work and then coming home and not doing your work (laughs) like on your couch or in your bed? I mean, do you think I got, I've always been one of the people where I just work where I live. I mean, I just set up a home office. I think it's it's really positive for routine. And routine has always been hard for me because if you remember from earlier in the in the conversation, I was dreading routine. That was literally my fear is to be stuck in a routine. So it's kind of funny that I've now come full circle and realized that to get to my maximum potential, I need to enforce a routine. But I think I don't think it's it's night and day. I don't think having a let's say a co-working space is going to revolutionize your productivity. But I think and I still work from home a lot. Like we're shooting this from home as well. But in terms of networking and socializing, I, I don't think there are any better ways. Maybe some meetups, like if you can go to a digital nomad meetup or some kind of meetup in your area of interest, then maybe that could do the similar thing. But I think the office is just great because you're all there uh, with similar uh, intentions and you have the caf- uh, you know the cafeteria section and you know every day people are like oh you want to go get a, a drink over at that place and it's just a very welcoming environment whereas if you just worked from home all the time i i don't know how to i would even begin to socialize especially in this environment but uh, for me the the co-working space is just a, a fantastic place and it's usually quite cheap you know i get like all unlimited 24 seven access and, you know, obviously super fast internet and coffee and all that. And it's only about $200 a month. So to me, that's like a bargain. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think I would be one of the people who would get very little work done and probably a lot of chit chat. (laughs) Right. I'm similar. Yeah, sadly, but, but that's, that's fine. You know, I I get the work done uh, and it makes at home and there, but the co-working space, like half the reason I go there is to talk to people. So I don't blame myself for that, but I definitely, definitely the same as you in that sense. Very good. All right. Last question. Have you had some really good fortified wine, some really good port (laughs) since you've been there, my friend? Well, here's another scoop. I might start doing some content on that, but yeah, obviously port wine, this is the home of port wine. And I think it's the most beautiful and underrated drink in the world. Something that people don't don't know about me is I used to work in a wine shop in Denmark. Okay. So I actually, I got a taste for the, the good stuff uh, many years ago. But now that I'm here, I'm just like blown away. Like, I don't know uh, what kind of uh, drinks you're into, but let's say you like whiskey. Uh, how do. much is a good bottle of whiskey? <laughs> you're looking at maybe $100, 100 euros. 100 bucks, for a yeah. starter, I would say good glass, right? You can get a little bit cheaper. You can go higher. I mean, you can go infinitely higher, <laughs> but with port wine, you buy like a 20, $20 bottle and it's great. Like the, the quality of that is just beautiful. Like I've had in the six months I've been here, I have had port wine from 1963. And that was only like, it was like $300 for a whole bottle. Yeah. So we split it a few people. It's cheap, you know, and, and it's, I'm drinking, a and it's not something you need to have a cocktail of. I mean, oh, like no, a, no. a small glass, small glass of port goes a very long way. Yeah. And it was produced before my mother was born. Like how, imagine <laughs> that, how crazy is that? And it's just, that's it's hard beautiful. to get your head around. Yeah, it really is. So I would say if anyone hasn't tried the uh, port, you know, uh, definitely go for it. It's a bit of an, it has like an old man's kind of, uh, I guess in Denmark anyway, it's, it's kind of an old man's drink, but I think, 
young people should try it as well because it's a lot cheaper for the quality anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, <laughs> you get a bottle, a $300 bottle when, uh, when I come visit and we'll, we'll oh, wow. make our way through that. That'll be nice. <laughs> Sounds good, Mikhail. Thank you. Brilliant. Chris, I always love talking to you. I am glad that we finally got you onto the show. Amazing conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your experience and telling your stories. Amazing episode. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Yeah, go to actualfluency.com. That's the blog. And there's a contact button there. That's the easiest. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I will make sure I have the links for this at expatmoneyshow.com. Chris, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Miguel. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.